Hello and welcome to another episode of ESG Voices. This podcast series addresses the opportunities and challenges within ESG through interviews with ESG specialists from KPMG and beyond. Throughout this series, we will discuss a broad range of environmental, social and governance issues, aiming to support governments, businesses and communities in creating an equitable and prosperous future for all. Institutional investors hold more than one trillion US dollars worth of infrastructure assets. Many take an active role in their investments. Some have evolved into massive infrastructure operators. And that gives them significant room to influence how the infrastructure sector achieves the world's net zero goals. What is clear is that appetite for green and impact investments is strong amongst institutional investors and their clients. But what does impact actually look like? How are institutional investors assessing impact on their existing and new investments? And how are institutional investors and operators helping shape the net zero pathways of their assets and investments? Today, I am joined by Stephen C. Betty, Global Head of Infrastructure and Head Global Cities Centre of Excellence, KPMG International, and Min Dao, Partner, KPMG Australia, to discuss how institutional investors and operators holding infrastructure assets are helping shape the net zero pathways. To kick off our conversation, what does net zero really mean from an infra perspective? Any given asset will have a carbon footprint or a carbon pattern. And that carbon pattern will be relevant during construction as well as during operations. Many, many, many people forget that the creation of the asset also involves carbon emissions as well as the long-term operation of the asset. And so it's really important that we consider both the creation of the asset as well as the operation of the asset. And when we view assets as individuals, that's one thing, but we also need to view portfolios of assets together because each of those assets may be carbon neutral, they may be carbon positive, they may be carbon negative, but we need to factor in the portfolio effect as well. Interestingly, also, we're actually seeing a number of big investors invest in carbon intensive businesses with a view to reducing their carbon footprint over time. This is not the way people normally think about this, but that is a really important process that should be incorporated into the path to net zero for the planet. Could you explain to our listeners how institutional investors holding infrastructure assets could help accelerate the journey to net zero? What influence do they have? Institutional investors are the largest group of owners of infrastructure assets globally. They own assets directly and such funds are typically managed by infrastructure uh, managers. But broadly, as a class of owners, institutional investors are the world's largest class of owners in infrastructure assets. They have significant influence on the global journey to net zero. Many funds have publicly said that in line with their global market expectations and consistent with their country's goal of maximising members' long-term investment returns, they have committed to billions of dollars into renewable investments 
And some of these investments um, you can see coming through even within the last couple of years into platform renewables and now a huge interest in offshore wind, um, not just in Australia, but more globally. From an Australian perspective, Australian funds have said that they will aim to achieve net zero through their direct engagement with companies, their portfolio companies. So they do have influence, not just with the dollars in terms of investments into infrastructure asset, but in terms of their board positions on these portfolio companies to affect change across the, the infrastructure networks. Are you seeing an appetite for green and impact investments amongst institutional investors holding infrastructure assets? Certainly. Going back 10 years ago, not a lot, but certainly over the last five years, there's been a, a huge increase in the funds that have been deployed by institutional investors into renewable assets and impact investments. Many of the funds have committed over a billion dollars of their portfolio uh, allocation to renewable investments. And I think the other thing that's changed a lot is that the technology around um, renewables has come a long way and the returns are more, I guess, stabilised compared to what they were three or four years ago. The other change that's really impacted the institutional investors, because some of them are government-owned, so sovereign funds, is government policy. So government policy of their, their respective countries. So with events such as COP26 and COP27, you're seeing more and more nations, I guess, from a government perspective, join the journey on net zero and their country's commitments around carbon. So with the institutional funds, where they are government owned and as such a sovereign fund, I think they feel more empowered to put money into renewable assets um, to achieve not only their funds objectives from a net zero perspective, but more broadly their nation's perspective on their journey to net zero. How are institutional investors holding infrastructure assets assessing impact on their existing and new investments? So I think uh, as we look at the investors, the first challenge is to properly measure the carbon content of their existing portfolio and what the impacts of changes within that portfolio or changes from outside that portfolio create. As we look forward, the movement towards net zero really needs to be assessed in those terms. When we look at individual individual portfolios or individual investors, all will be able to form their own view as to what path to carbon neutrality they are choosing to follow. The trick is proper measurement, proper disclosure, and then action in relation to the carbon footprint of that portfolio. How important is it for institutional investors holding infrastructure assets to be able to transparently report against their impact? Min, can I start with you? The institutional investors need to report their investments because they have a fiduciary duty to their members and therefore what they report needs to be as fair and accurate as possible. So the issue here is around what standards do you use? So many of the funds have published on their website the standard by which they are measuring their own impact. And so as an example, the climate change report, um, which is aligned with the task force on climate related financial disclosure framework is being used by some of 
the institutional investors. It does include metrics on how they are managing low carbon transition and physical risk in relation to the portfolio asset. I think that needs to be very clear and transparent to members because we are seeing more and more what I'd call member activism, whereby members are bringing up directly um, to their fund, to the institutional funds, or through the press, their um, desires around what assets and what carbon initiatives are being undertaken by their, their fund, because it's ultimately their money is how they see it, and it is their retirement funds that are being used in order to invest in these assets long term in order to meet long term pension liabilities. So so I think transparency of reporting is really important. But what we also need is some sort of global consistency of reporting standards. And I think we are going to be moving in that direction whereby we will have global standards around how we record and um, disclose in a transparent way, the impact uh, of the investments that one makes into infrastructure. Thanks, Min. And Stephen? It is incredibly important on the reporting front, and it's incredibly important right now we're going through the phase where there are lots of different reporting conventions, and we need to find a way to generate a consistent and readily interpretable set of carbon reporting or ESG um, criteria reporting. And that will take time, and it will take time before the market is able to fully incorporate the meaning of some of these criteria and the long-term implications of some of these criteria. But it is absolutely important that measurement be accurate, be consistent, and then be readily interpretable by those making the investments and by those looking at the quality of the investments as a third party. Decarbonisation, carbon emissions and climate risk are certainly top of mind for institutional investors. But are you seeing investors in infrastructure projects put a larger focus on the S and G of the ESG equation? If yes, why? Stephen, if I can come to you first. Right now, I think we are seeing an incredible focus on the E of ESG. S and G tend to be more implicit criteria. Uh, When we look at governance and particularly governance with respect to investment policy and the management of company. That is an area that has a good history within the big funds of being well examined. I would say the one where the greatest gap is, is on the social. And I think that is an area that is probably harder to measure and harder to accurately incorporate into a portfolio performance approach. Having said that, nothing is impossible. And I fully expect that once the system or the markets have digested the concepts of the E component, they will be ready to to address the S component. As we move towards a circular economy model, we will see all of these things increasing in importance. It's really hard to get it right the first time. And we will see evolution across E and S and G over the next couple of decades. And Min, would you add anything? There is certainly an increase in the focus on the S and the G. As an advisor to infrastructure investors, I am seeing more and more questions asked by our clients as to what we KPMG do from a social impact perspective, because what we're seeing is that they are asking this of all their providers. 
So I'll give an example being a questionnaire that was circulated to uh, KPMG more recently on a very large infrastructure transaction. So the questions that were asked included, were any incidents of modern slavery reported by KPMG's employees or offshore vendors? What percentage, if any, of the services KPMG provides are undertaken by KPMG's offshore vendors? And a last interesting question, what are the key mechanisms KPMG employs to ensure workers in their supply chain are paid a living wage? So you can see from a social impact perspective, infrastructure investors are very serious about this and are very keen to ensure not only their assets are following what from their standards um, seen as socially responsible behaviours, but they're requesting that of all of their service providers. So from an S perspective, we're certainly seeing that from um, contractual relationships, making sure that whoever it is that they are using, whether it's advisors, construction entities or other suppliers, that the supply chain is something that they've investigated to ensure that modern slavery is, is not apparent in the supply of their the goods or the, the asset that they're investing into. In terms of the G, the governance aspect of it, I think the G um, has been around for a long time from an institutional investor's uh, perspective. They're very, very strong on the governance of how they're managed. Uh, and that's because most of them are either pension funds and which are regulated or sovereign funds, um, which means that they're representing the government of, of, of their country. So the governance aspect of it, yeah, is, I think, is a very strong focus in the institutional space. And what we're also seeing in terms of governance um, that also ties in with social is the ability to appoint board members and to ensure that board members on large infrastructure assets are diverse. So diversity of composition of board members, I think, is a crossover, um, not just from a social, but also from a governance perspective, because the view is that if you have diverse board members, you're going to have diverse thinking and therefore you are a much more able to make decisions that considers all aspects of how the infrastructure asset is governed. The other one is from a governance perspective perspective is, is responsible tax and how the Risk and Audit Committee is dealing with, with tax. So reputational tax, um, ensuring that an entity is paying their fair share of tax has certainly been at the forefront of many board decisions. So I'd say that there's certainly a lot of focus on the E, but it's not hard to find a lot of work that's being done in relation to the S and the G in relation to infrastructure investments. How are institutional investors and operators helping shape the net zero pathways of their infrastructure assets and investments? I think they are definitely shaping the pattern and shaping the path to net zero or net carbon net net lower. Some are saying we will only buy low carbon assets. Others are saying we will buy hard, high carbon assets or more carbon intensive assets or more greenhouse gas intensive assets and help those entities morph into assets of a lower carbon or a lower climate impact. It really comes down to the investment mandate of the individual portfolio managers, the positions the boards and investment committees take. All of them will ultimately or should ultimately result in a lower carbon intensive, lower greenhouse gas intensive world. 
the question comes when you have to make the hard decisions between the fiduciary obligation of investors towards their beneficiaries at the same time as managing the risks to the planet. To wrap up our conversation today, what advice would you give to institutional investors holding infrastructure assets seeking to accelerate their decarbonisation plans? Min, can I start with you? Starting with the um, portfolio company leaders, I think that it's clear that companies that have strong policy settings around energy transition or net zero transition is going to be a more valuable company. And leaders in these portfolio companies, I think, need to take not only accountability of what it is that their company is doing in relation to the net zero journey, but I think a lot of them are seeing value in their companies in doing so. And I think that also goes to the question of what are asset owners doing? Asset owners are putting the pressure on portfolio companies to transition. They are putting in place clear objectives from their own asset ownership objectives as to their returns. And again, going back to stranded asset, asset owners do not want to be left with uh, stranded assets in the long run. So I think there is synergy between my advice to company leaders and to asset owners, and it's the same with investors as well. From an investor's perspective, where it's not a member-based, so not an institutional investor-based, but if it's a listed company, we are seeing members turn up at AGMs and putting really hard questions to the board, to the portfolio companies around what is being done in order to transition to net zero. Clear evidence of this is what's happened in some of the Australian energy listed companies where a lot of pressure is being put on these companies by by the actual um, shareholders at AGMs and either questioning or endorsing the company's transition plans. So we, we are seeing a lot of activism in this area and it will impact value. So my advice both to the asset owners the portfolio leaders and the investors is to continue to be active in that market because we're seeing value in it and we're seeing companies that do take this seriously increase in value substantially and entities that don't will decrease in value in the long run. And finally, Stephen. Ignore decarbonisation at your peril. The real message here is, is that this has become an imperative within the investment community and within the investor community. Does that mean we will see people getting paid more money who have a lower carbon footprint or have had a bigger impact? Maybe. Will we ever fully get away from a fiduciary obligation that says you must earn X return on your assets? I don't think so. It's complicated, but at the same time, as we incorporate this, just as we incorporated anti-bribery and money laundering, just as we incorporated other moral tests. These are tests that can be incorporated and must be incorporated. What we find, and I think we will we will increasingly find this, is that people who ignore this become isolated in the community and isolated from their peers in terms of who will do business with them ultimately. So, Again, back to my original point, ignore ESG, ignore carbon reduction, greenhouse gas reduction at your peril. 
Stephen and Min, thanks again for speaking today. You've given our listeners a lot to think about. Join us again next time for more insights from ESG leaders and innovators. You can also find our latest insights covering a range of ESG topics by visiting kpmg.com forward slash ESG. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.